Good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're with us. Everybody connecting with us online, we're glad that you found us there and can stay connected that way. Uh, we are in a series uh, called uh, Rebuilding, Five Key Lessons That We Learned from Nehemiah. And uh, in this series, we've been looking at different ways that we can respond to the difficulties that we face in life, like the pandemic that we're going through right now and other setbacks or challenges that we have. We're so glad you've been with us for this series. If you've missed any of it, you can go to our website at lakeshorechristian.com and we have our, our messages archived there. Or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and get the messages there as well. We also have a podcast with the messages if you'd like to subscribe to that, if you'd like to listen to podcasts. When we talk about going through challenges and, and rebounding or rebuilding or recovering from those things, God's Word is a treasure of information for us. It's, it's got so much great guidance and direction and information. And so far in this series, we've looked at the necessity of preparation. If you know there's going to be struggles and, and, and you know you've got to rebuild after a setback, you've got to get ready for that. You've got to prepare for that. And it starts with preparing our hearts and our minds. That's where we have to begin. And then we looked at the value of participation. If we're going to rebuild uh, the work of the church and the kingdom and rebuild people's lives, we need to work together in this. We don't need to do this alone. One of the hardest things about the pandemic has been the isolation that people have had to deal with. And we don't have to go through life isolated like that. Even in a pandemic, if you could connect with and be part of a church family and participate in a church family with others, then we've got each other and the strength that comes with being connected to each other in Christ. And we talked last week about the reality of opposition. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that if we're working for the Lord and trying to honor him, that it's all going to go well, right? It's, it's all going to be smiles and celebrations and fun. And that's just not the truth about walking with Christ, about being a Christian. Christians have challenges and setbacks and struggles but the difference is we have Christ in us and the presence of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. There's a power in us greater than the challenges that we face. And we need to be realistic about the opposition. And last week we talked about in face of the opposition, there were some key principles we looked at and, and being able to deal with it well. But this week I want us to go a little deeper into how we need to respond to the opposition. We can learn from Nehemiah so much because he faced such great opposition. He was, remember, called by God to go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild that wall around the city. And it was a critical work. It was a much-needed work to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and reestablish Jerusalem as the city of God that gave the witness to the world of the greatness of God. And and Nehemiah wanted to get this done with the help of all the people working together. But immediately upon deciding to go do this, opposition came, remember? As soon as he made the decision, as soon as he decided to go to Jerusalem, as soon as the word got out about what he was doing, already there was opposition. So today's message, we're focusing on the need for determination in the face of opposition. The need to be determined. 
I love that clip. It's from an older movie. You could tell by how young Tom Hanks was in the movie. It's a little bit older, but it's called The Money Pit. And they bought this house that looked really good on the outside. But once they, they got in there and started trying to live in and work in the house, it, they just had problem after problem after problem. And it took a toll on them. And they, they got discouraged big time with every different setback that they had. And the clip that we saw uh, he's reached this breaking point where he just starts laughing uncontrollably, right? One more thing. The tub falls through the floor, and it's just one more thing. They just burned up the kitchen, and uh, the turkey has flown through and crashed the window into the room, and, and now the tub falls through the floor and the ceiling of the floor below and busts and shatters there on the first floor. And it's just like that's, that's the last straw, and he just loses it. Well, as Christ followers... I want you to understand something. In the front end of this pandemic, most of us thought, well, this might be, you know, a couple of weeks. Let's see how it goes. Well, maybe a month, right? We'll we'll do what we need to do for a month, you know, shut everything down, social distance, wear the mask. We can do that for a month and then another month and then another month. And then we had other things going on too, right? We had just had tornadoes hit this area before the pandemic hit. We were rebuilding from that. And then we had the social unrest in the country on top of that. All of these things building up on each other, one thing after another. And for some Christians, some Christ followers, it was like enough is enough. And they've kind of checked out, kind of gave up. They disconnected from Christ and the church and from other brothers and sisters in Christ, and they isolated themselves from everybody else. And that's exactly what Satan wanted. That's exactly what he wanted to have happen. He is the enemy, the opposer of Christ and the church. And his and his opposition work, his goal was to get us to just finally say, I can't do this anymore. So that we just stop and we check out and we disconnect. Remember, studies have shown during the pandemic about one-third of those who were actively involved in church before the pandemic hit have totally disconnected and gotten uninvolved completely in anything connected to the church, totally isolated themselves from Christ and his church. And so we've got this job to do that God has called us to do. Now, here's what I want you to know. As, As bad as that sounds... Uh, I started this series by talking about, I believe we've got an amazing opportunity in the middle of all of this to not just bounce back, but to bounce forward, right? To bounce back better than we were before. We've learned that the church can't be all about the building and about just what we do on Sundays on the weekend. It's, it's got to be more than that. Our lives are in following Christ and representing him as being his disciples There has to be more of a daily walk with Christ and a daily encouraging of each other and a daily daily ongoing regular time with God in his word and in prayer. And, And I believe it's helped us to refocus. And so today I want us to focus on some things because what Satan wants to do more than anything else, why we need determination so much is he wants to get us discouraged. He really wants to get us discouraged. So we're going to break that down a little bit more, looking at Nehemiah's example. And the first thing we're going to look at is the cause of discouragement. Uh, When Nehemiah started this project, everybody was excited. But after it drug on for a while, and they started receiving criticisms and attacks and all that, they started getting discouraged. So let's look at 
the cause of discouragement. One of the first causes of discouragement is criticism. If you've ever tried to do anything, you've decided, all right, I want to make my life better. I want to improve my life. So you commit to something. Maybe you tell some friends or some family members what you've decided to do. Sometimes you don't get the response you thought you were going to get. Sometimes they criticize you for doing that. And that can be discouraging. You're all excited wanting to do something to improve your life, and you're not getting the support that you wanted to get. It's really discouraging. Well, right away in Nehemiah, we see that they got criticism. Well, let's go back to chapter 2. Let's go, we're going to pick a few verses here to look at the attacks of this, that we're trying to get them discouraged. All right, Verse 19 of Nehemiah 2. Remember these characters? When Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, about their plan to rebuild the wall, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So immediately they start attacking Nehemiah and anybody who he was trying to recruit to work on these work teams to rebuild the wall. He's making them think this is something you should not be doing. And, and, and it's, it's wrong. It's evil for you. to. It's like rebelling against the king for you to do this. So right away on the front end, of committing to, I'm going to be part of this, I'm going to serve, I'm going to work on the wall, I'm going, to, I'm going to help rebuild. Immediately, there are people around them that are criticizing that decision to do that. But then on in chapter 4, after they start working, they got the work teams out there, they started rebuilding, and chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, here's what it says. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Dripping with sarcasm here, okay. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to uh, life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then he had his friend join in, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they're building, if even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Usually with criticism, there's also ridicule involved in it. Uh, and I think Christians today, Christ followers today more than ever, if we are public and vocal about who we are and what we believe, we get attacked. We get criticized for it. And that's not totally new. I want you to understand. It's been that way throughout the history of God's people. They've always been attacked. They've always been criticized. They've always been ridiculed by those who are not part of what we're a part of. So we shouldn't be too surprised by it. We shouldn't be caught off guard by it. Remember, opposition is going to be there. Jesus has made that clear. The Bible makes it clear that his people are going to be attacked. Now, sometimes the attacks are physical, but usually, in most cases, they are verbal criticisms and ridicule that come our way. And so you have to be determined not to let that get you too discouraged in what you've decided to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves more than it needs to be there because of the way we handle ourselves, right? We don't, we're not consistent in our walk. We, we, uh, we don't live up to the claims that we have in our lives, and we don't love like we ought to love or serve like we need to serve. And that brings criticism, of course, and, and, and rightly so, because if we're going to claim to belong to Christ and represent him, our lives need to reflect that well. But a lot of times, even without us doing anything to bring it on, because Satan doesn't want us to advance the work of the kingdom, he will bring criticism into our lives uh, so that we can get discouraged along the way. 
So criticism is one of those things that he uses to discourage us. But another one is they went further than that. They actually went to the next step of threats against the people. Look at Nehemiah 4 again, verse 7 and 8. They continued rebuilding the wall till it was half its height. And verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the, Arab, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They didn't stop with just being mad, though. Look at verse 8. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Verse 10, if you skip down to that. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. So now they're not just being criticized. They're not just being ridiculed. They're being threatened with their lives. If you keep working on this wall, we will... We will have a surprise attack come upon you and kill anybody out here working on the wall. And again, as I said last week and over this course of this message series, here in America, thankfully, we may have ridicule, we may have criticism, but thankfully to this point in the history of our country, we don't have the threat of our lives for being here today, honoring God, worshiping God, or serving in the name of Christ and our communities. At least we're not threatened with our lives. And I'm so grateful for that. But we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are today threatened with their very lives for standing up for and representing Jesus Christ in the world. And we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are facing that because you talk about being discouraged. Here you are just trying to honor God. And yet, you could be not just put in jail, not just beaten, but actually executed for just trying to honor God as you understand his word and what you're supposed to do with your life. Well, the people in Nehemiah's day were being threatened with their own lives just for being who they were and doing what they believed God had called them to do. So you've got criticism and you've got threats, but, but there's another area of discouragement that sometimes we forget about, and that's simply the circumstances that we end up in sometimes. Just sometimes through no fault of our own, it's just the circumstances that we find ourselves in that can be very discouraging sometimes. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves, sometimes it's totally innocent. Look at verse 6 here of Nehemiah 4. We rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Are any of you right now in the middle of, let, let me say, a, a remodeling project at your house maybe, the house that you're living in? Anybody here doing that right now? I see a hand go up. You know the worst part of a project like that is when you get about halfway through it because you're living with the mess then because you can't do a project without part of it being really messy. Usually it costs more than you thought it was going to cost. Usually it takes longer than you thought it was going to take and, and, and it's messier than you thought it was going to be and, and more inconvenient than you thought it was going to be to live in the house while you're trying to remodel it, right? Halfway through is a tough time. In fact, it can be the most discouraging time. You've heard the old thing about the optimist and the pessimist, right? Half, glass half full or glass half empty. Well, sometimes in the middle of a project halfway through, you're not looking at half full. Man, look at what I've done. You're looking at, oh, man, all this work and all this mess, and I'm only halfway now through this project. It can be the most discouraging time 
in a project where here they are rebuilding this wall and they've got it halfway up now. Here's something else that happens halfway through. If you've been doing it yourself, you get what? Tired. You just get tired. And it's hard to get up the next morning and know that mess is waiting on you and go back to it again and get back to work. It's hard for everybody. Halfway through a project, just the circumstances that you have there can be very discouraging. Look at verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. <laughs> the mess is getting to them now. The mess is getting to them. They, they, they're halfway up, but that means all the, the rocks the, they need to rebuild the wall, uh, the rest of the way are out there. It means all the mortar mix and everything they've got to, to put mortar between the blocks is, is out there and it's, it's all, all around them all the time. It means that they, uh, they have to have things laid out in the order that they're going to need to use them so it's taking up a lot of the space out there, right? And they've got to walk around that rubble every single day while they're doing this job. They've got to deal with the mess every day. It's like, just yesterday, we were going to an event, and we start to go in, and I have closed the door of my car. We start in. I said, oh, no, I forgot my what? Mask. Right, one more time, I got to go back and get the mask. I don't want to wear that mask. Nobody likes wearing the mask, but we got to have the mask. So it's an event where, where you have to have the mask on. There are going to be other people there, and, and everybody's going to be depending on everybody else to have the mask. And so I have to go, and it's cold, and it's misty rain, you know, and you don't want to have to go back and, and get the mask, and, but you got to do it. So, you know, but, you know, one time doing that's not so bad, but when you have to do it over and over and over, right, it begins to wear on you. Not so much physically, but emotionally, it begins to wear on you. Man, how long are we going to have to keep doing this, right? How long are we going to have to walk out here in this rubble and, and, and work on this wall and we still are only halfway done, right? How, how much longer? And we don't even know if we're halfway with a pandemic, right? We don't know. We can't even judge how long it's going to be. Man, that could be discouraging, right? Just the circumstances that you find yourself in. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your work, your career. Things you thought would be better by now, they're not. And we begin crying out, how long, oh Lord, will we have to keep doing this? How long is it going to be? Halfway through is a discouraging time. And the circumstances you find yourself in may be very discouraging right now. And that's exactly what Satan wants. But there's one more area of discouragement I want to talk about very quickly. And that is the associations you have in life. I'm talking about family and friends and coworkers that you have around you. Sometimes they can be, instead of the most encouraging help for you, they can be the most discouraging to you. Especially if they're the people you thought would be there for you. And they're not. The people that you thought you could count on, and they're not. I meet with a group of pastors. I've talked about it before. I've got a group of about 65 pastors across the country. We meet by Zoom now. During this time, we've been meeting by Zoom. And uh, once a year, we try to get together in person. But, but we're meeting by Zoom. And one of the things I hear from more pastors than anything else is how hurt and betrayed some of them feel by people that they thought would stick it out and be faithful to the church who've turned their back and walked away during this time. 
and criticize them in the process for either opening too soon or not opening soon enough or requiring masks or not. You know, no matter which way you went, there were people that were mad, right? No matter which decision you made, people were angry with you for that decision. That's discouraging to a pastor. It's discouraging to you as an individual when you're trying to do what you think is the right thing and yet the people you thought would rally around you aren't rallying around you in the process. We've had people that decided we'll go to another church because I don't think this church is handling it the way they ought to, right? We'll just go somewhere else because they already opened up and our church hasn't. So we'll go be part of that church, right? Like, and sometimes people think, well, you know, pastors are tough. That doesn't hurt them. You know, they know they're working for the Lord. Well, it gets to everybody, right? It gets to everybody. We're all just human and we all have those emotions that we feel the hurt, we feel the betrayal. And I know you feel that in your life when the people you thought you could count on have not really come through for you or been there for you like you wanted them to be. So sometimes your associations are there. But sometimes it's not so much that they betray you, but, but they still criticize you. Right? They, they don't walk away. And sometimes after enough criticism, you wish they would. Right? <laughs> if you're going to be that critical, just go. Right? Find somewhere that you're not going to be so critical anymore. I've had enough of the criticism. It's discouraging to face the criticism over and over and over again when all you're trying to do is the best you can do with God's help. And I know we all have people in our lives that are the critics for our lives. So sometimes it's the associations around you. Look at verse 12. The Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack you, right? So they've got people around them that are whispering in their ear. If you keep trying to rebuild this wall, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked. They're going to come kill you if you keep trying to rebuild this wall. See, their associations, these are the people that live around them. While they're out there trying to rebuild the wall, this is what they're whispering in their ears. Man, that can be discouraging when you're trying to do the right thing. So let's look at the second thing in your outline here. It's the effects of discouragement. What toll did it take on those people to face all those criticisms and discouragements and circumstances and associations? Well, one of the things is it could cause you to lose your vision. When God calls you to something, a lot of people refer to that as a vision that you have, right? And it's not always a visual vision, right? Where you saw something in a dream, sometimes it can be that, but sometimes it's just you feel that God is drawing you there, calling you to that. The prompting of the Spirit is leading you that direction. So this vision is, as you read God's Word and pray to God, God puts this in your heart, in your mind, here's what I want you to do, and you set out to do it, and Satan, more than anything else, wants you to lose that vision. Remember verse 10, it said, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. On the front end of the project, they said, Let us start rebuilding. The God of heaven will give us success. And now what are they saying? It's too much rubble. It's too hard. We can't do this. We might as well give up now. Can you hear the loss of vision there? And Satan loves it when God's people lose their vision. And, and so many pastors and so many church leaders and so many church members during this pandemic have lost their vision for what God wants us to do in response to what we're dealing with. You see, God wants us to use this time to impact the world in an even more powerful way. And he's looking for men and women that won't lose that vision, who will stay committed and be part of that and go through with it, even when it's hard, stick with it so that the church can make the impact during this time that God planned for it to make. 
You see, because you're the church and I'm the church, if we're going to make that impact, we have to stick with this. We can't lose the vision that God has given the church. They, they can lose vision, which means it's connected, all connected together. Losing your vision causes you to lose your faith. Remember in verse 12, I just read, they, they said, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Well, who should they have known they could depend on if that was the threat? God. God's been with them the whole time. Why would God not be with them in the, in the face of that threat as long as they're being obedient to God? But we begin to question our faith when it's really hard for a long period of time. When God doesn't seem to be giving us the relief that we want when we want it, right? He's not giving us the success we want as quickly as we'd like to see it. That's when we can start questioning, do we need to even really trust God then? Can we really trust God? You see, the effects of discouragement can cause you to lose your faith. And it can also cause you to just lose heart. Remember, uh, uh, in chapter 6, let's look there in verse 9. It says, They were trial trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. When you lose heart, you just can't make yourself do it anymore. Losing heart's just a terminology, it's just a phrase. We know we don't actually lose our hearts, but what we know we ha- happens to us is we end up not being able to have the excitement and the energy. Don't you feel that way sometimes? You get emotionally drained, and where's your energy level go? Even physically, where does your energy level go? It drops to the bottom, doesn't it, when you get emotionally drained. And these people have been working hard, and they're physically drained already. And when you're physically drained, it's much easier for Satan to work on you emotionally too, right? When you're physically fatigued, then your emotions are more easily manipulated. That's just the way we're made in the flesh, in human nature. When you're emotionally, when you're physically drained, tired, worn out, not getting enough sleep, whatever it is, then your emotions are a lot more on edge and easily manipulated then. And the enemy wants to attack you and cause you to lose heart in your walk with Christ. So I want to finish up uh, with the thing that's most important today. What is the cure for discouragement? We, we can learn from Nehemiah and from these people. How do, you, how do you respond so that you don't let discouragement take you away from what God wants for your life. Well, the first step is you need to start with prayer. In another series we did recently, I talked about the fact that uh, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, okay? So if he's the vine and we are the branches, then it says in order for the branches to produce and bear fruit like they need to, they have to stay what? Connected to the vine, well, how do you stay connected to the vine? Well, one of the most important ways to stay connected to the vine is through prayer because it's through prayer that you can actually communicate with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus. In, in the name of Jesus, you can go directly to the throne of grace, it says in Scripture, and there you find the help that you need. In Nehemiah 4, look at verses 4 and 5. They're facing this opposition, and here's Nehemiah's response. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, did Nehemiah say, let's stop rebuilding, let's put together an army, and let's go attack those people? Is that what he said? No, what did he do? He went to God. He said, God, I want you to handle those enemies. I want you to take care of it. We, we need to keep doing the work. We need you, Father, to handle the enemy side of things. 
you deal with them. Now, Nehemiah had his own ideas of what God ought to do with them. And it's okay to tell God that. It doesn't mean we're going to control God and make him do something God wouldn't do. But it's okay for us to be honest with God about how we feel about the attacks of the enemy. You could be, God can handle it. Even if we're wrong, even if we're off base, we need to express to God what we're really feeling in our hearts and our minds, okay? God's big enough to handle whatever you say to him. But here's what we need to do. When we do that, when we take it to God, who do we need to trust to take care of the enemy then? God. See, God has a way of doing things that are way better than anything we would try to do in dealing with our enemies. So we need to trust God enough. We start with prayer. We go to him. In verse 9 of Nehemiah 4, he says, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Now, the reason I gave you that example is this. Not only did he pray in the face of the enemy, but then what else did he do? He posted a guard to protect the people. You see, God doesn't want us to be foolish in the face of the enemy. It's like, well, well, I, I, will, uh, I, I will go out and witness for God in the worst part of town about 3 o'clock in the morning every morning. I'll go down to that dark alley, and I'll be a witness for Christ out there. Uh, use a little common sense, all right? That, that's not what God's called you to do. There, there's a better way to do that. And Nehemiah knew he could call on God, but he also knew we need to take the right practical steps too. If they're saying they're going to attack us, then what can we do? We can post guards to help, help us be aware of an attack that might be coming and help protect the people. You still do the stuff you're supposed to do. You still take the steps that God wants you to take. And then in verse 9, the second part of verse 9, it says, But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. So he prayed, he posted a guard, and he still prayed for strength. He did everything wrapped in prayer in response to the opposition that they were facing so that the discouragement would not take over. Here's the second step. You start with prayer, but then Nehemiah convinced them to remember three things, their enemy, their God, and their worthy cause. Let's look at verse 14 here of Nehemiah chapter 4. He says this, After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. And in short, he says, Instead of being afraid, remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. The church needs to remember three things during a pandemic or any challenge, and you individually in any challenging challenge you're facing, you need to remember three things. First, remember your enemy. The Bible says our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Okay? Christians have often made the mistake of thinking that our enemy is in the flesh, these people that we see as our enemy. Nehemiah says, remember your enemy. Your enemy ultimately is Satan working through and using those people against you. It's a spiritual battle. That's what you have to remember. Every battle we face ultimately is a what? Spiritual battle. And we forget that. So we start attacking people. We start trying to recruit people to go against those other people. We choose up sides against people against people. And that's not what God has called the church to do. He's called us to attack, recognize, and oppose the real enemy. 
And that means it's a spiritual battle, which means we've got to spiritually prepare, be spiritually strong, stay spiritually connected, and recognize that the enemy we face is a spiritual enemy. But he said also, not only remember your enemy, but remember your God. I love that. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. And how does he describe the Lord? Who is great and awesome. The scripture says over and over again things like this. He that is in you is greater than he that is at work in the world, right? It says the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you also. Is there any opposition, any enemy out there greater, more powerful than God who is in us? Absolutely not. So as we remember the enemy, we need to remember this. What's the outcome for Satan? Hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what's going to happen to him. All right, so we know Christ on the cross has defeated the enemy of Satan and death. So then we have to remember our God in light of the fact that our enemies are already defeated. Ultimately, we know the victory is ours because of our God who we are belong to, who we're connected to, who is in us as we fight these battles. Now, that doesn't mean God will give you everything you want. That's not what this verse is saying. That's not what, what Nehemiah was saying to the people. He was saying, though, remember how great and powerful God is as you struggle through and finish the job. He doesn't say he's magically going to make the wall appear just because you, you know, you're struggling right now. He says, no, remember your enemy, but remember your God. Remember when David... Uh, went up against Goliath. You remember how Goliath was described, how big he was and all of that? And he went up against David's a young kid. He's, a, he's not nearly as big as Goliath, as old, as experienced as Goliath. But he went up against Goliath. And here's what it says. David went up against Goliath in the name of his God. You see, that's what gave him courage. That's what gave him the ability to go up against that huge opposing force that he was facing. He knew he could trust God. And it didn't mean God was going to do exactly what David wanted him to do. He just knew he could trust God with whatever God was going to do. And he went up against Goliath and he had victory. Nehemiah wasn't saying to the people, God's going to make everything okay. He was saying, remember who God is. You could trust him. You could put your faith in him. And in the middle of the struggle and throughout the struggle, he's going to be there with you as the God that he is. But then he add, remember your worthy cause, right? Remember, remember your wives, your children. Remember what you're fighting for. Remember what's really important in the middle of the struggle. Remember the things that really matter. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. And the church needs to remember that we're on this earth for the highest and holiest of callings that exist. We are here for the eternal outcomes of the lives of our families, our sons, our daughters, our husbands, our wives, the generations coming behind us. God put the church here to make the difference for those people that he wants us to make. And he expects us to be the faithful ones who will stick it out even when it's hard for the sake of those that we're fighting for. We need to remember our cause is a worthy cause. 
that the work of the church and the work of the kingdom is valuable work that deserves our full energy and attention. So we need to remember our enemy. We need to remember how limited the enemy is in the face of remembering our God and how unlimited his power and his presence is. And we need to be inspired by the worthy cause that God has called us to as his people. Is it worth fighting for a marriage that's struggling so that you can honor God with your marriage? Absolutely. Is it worth sacrificing for your kids to be sure your kids are being raised up to know Jesus and follow Jesus? Absolutely. Isn't it amazing how much we're willing to fight for our kids in other areas, but maybe not this one? We will fight for our kids to have the opportunities in sports we want them to have, right? We will fight for them to have the schooling, the education that we want them to have. We'll make sacrifices to be sure they're getting the education we want them to get. Maybe the opportunities in music or, or whatever it is they're wanting to pursue in their lives. We'll make sure we do everything to give them every chance to have that opportunity. How much are we committing to and sacrificing for their spiritual health? Because that's going to matter more than anything else. That's going to matter more than whether or not they got the education you wanted them to get, got the job you wanted them to get, got the recognition in sports or entertainment or whatever it is you're trying to, uh, science or whatever they're pursuing. Uh, those are not bad. None of those are bad things, but they all pale in comparison to how important it is that we teach them to love Jesus and walk with Jesus in their lives. Nothing's more important than that for those kids coming behind us. Our cause as the people of God, as the church, is a worthy cause. And we ought to be willing to make all the sacrifices for the things that really matter most. I'm not saying you shouldn't sacrifice for your kids to have other opportunities. That's not a bad thing. I'm saying, though, if you do that to the exclusion of sacrificing for the things that matter the most in your kids' lives, then we missed it completely. We have failed as parents and grandparents, as, as adults who influence their lives, we failed if we haven't influenced them for the kingdom of God the way we needed to. That's the most important influence we need to have in the lives of those kids coming behind us right now. So remember, remember your worthy cause. But then there's another step. That means we need to return to work. We can't just sit back and say, yeah, that's important. That's what we need to be doing. You know, I, I have actually uh, sometimes been really frustrated as a pastor, uh, not this group that I'm a part of now, but another pastor's group I was part of uh, in, uh, in years past. They, they sat around and talked about what they ought to do a lot and even prayed about it. But very rarely did they actually start doing it. We read scripture and we prayed and we talked and then we didn't do anything. And how effective is that? It's not effective at all. You actually have to go back to work. People say, well, I, I love being with God on the, in the mountains, right? Some of you love the mountains. God bless you. I love the beach, okay? I love the beach. I was able to get out on the beach a little bit this past week. We were down in Florida for a funeral that I was doing for a family member, and we were able to be close to the beach and, and stayed close to the beach, and I got to go out to the beach a little bit and didn't get the surf, man. The surf was too rough, but I, I wanted to I tried to get out there and do it, just couldn't do it, but it was just so bad. But, but I still got to be on the beach, and a bad day on the beach is better than a good day anywhere else in my book, okay? All right. All right. So here's the thing. 
We get off there and we say, oh, this is beautiful. I'd love to just be here, man. I'd love to just be in the mountains. I just want to stay here. But God didn't call us to, to remove ourselves from the world. He called us to get out there and be the church in the world, in the mess, in the struggle, and be faithful for the long haul. That's what he called us to do. Not to escape, but to engage with the people that he wants us to make the difference in their lives. That's the work of the church. That's the calling of the people of God. We have to go back to work. Nehemiah 4, verse 15, listen to this. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. They all got back to work so that they could get that job done. Yeah, there's going to be critics. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be setbacks. You need to pray. You need to have moments of rest and recuperation. That's a good thing. Go to the beach and get recuperated. Go to the mountains and get recuperated. But come back to work for the kingdom. Don't let yourself check out from the importance of what God has called you to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't ever check out. One of the ways people mostly check out in the church when they decide I'm not going to do it anymore is they sit back and criticize those who are, right? They sit back and criticize those who are actually doing the work. Maybe some of you have people like that in the workplace, right? You're the one doing the work, and what are you hearing from the people who aren't doing the work? They're criticizing what you're doing, right? They're, they're, not, they're not helping with the work. They're just criticizing the work that you're doing. I love, you've heard this before. I just wanted to share it again from Theodore Roosevelt. He said this. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Friends, it's not the critic who counts in the kingdom of God. It's the doer of the work. That makes the difference. He's not called us to check out and sit on the sidelines and criticize those that are doing it, which leads to the last step if we're going to have victory over discouragement, and that is remain equipped for battle. You see, if you go back to work, you better go back equipped for what you're going to face. You better go back ready for what Satan's going to throw at you because the discouragement won't quit just because you decided to go back to work. He's still going to be there when you go back. I love Nehemiah 4. Uh, in verse 16, listen to what he says here. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with, uh, with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Wow. They went back to work, but they went back to work better equipped for the opposition they were facing, didn't they? And that's why it's so important that you stay connected to the body of Christ and the church. 
and you stay connected to the Lord through scripture and prayer and fellowship with other Christians, you keep uh, being able to connect with other Christians to encourage them and have them encourage you because we need to go back to work better equipped than we were before because the threats aren't going to go away. The struggle isn't going to disappear. And if we're going to get the job done, we've got to do it in the face of the opposition that we're facing. I want to close with this verse from Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, verse 10. You know this concept, right, of the armor of God. Listen to these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have the example of Nehemiah and those workers, those rebuilders of the wall. They faced opposition and criticism and ridicule and even the threat of attacks, the threat of losing their lives. But Nehemiah led them in knowing how to respond as we need to respond today, Father. Help us to know that we need to respond to the challenges we face by coming to you first in prayer. We need to come to you by by, by connecting to you and to others who are following you. We need to encourage each other and be encouraged by others and not let ourselves get separated from those that want to honor you in their lives. Help us to be part of that, to participate in the ongoing work, but help us to be making sure that we're equipped with the full armor that we need to have on for the battles that we're going to face because we know ultimately who you are We know that you've won the victory already through your son, Jesus Christ. And now we pause, Father, to remember that great work that he's done on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.